I remember I can feel the nervousness, but I was not scared because you know why? Because I always knew that it was going to work out, and I knew that Saint Teresa was with us and with me. That it was going to work out, and at the same time, I was so excited because I could see the future that we're going to be reunited with Dad. You're listening to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. Just a quick reminder that we have a live podcast recording event coming up on February 24th. Join me online as I get to interview Phuc Jang, the author of the memoir Sign Gone. For more details, visit our website at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash events. In season one of the podcast, I shared with you my family's refugee story. It all started in March 1975, just 30 days before the fall of Saigon. We had to leave everything behind and migrate from our hometown in the city of Da Nang to a small village in Yachang. Overnight, we went from riches to rags. There are two things I probably remember the most is that when we lived in the country, I would follow dad to church because he was leading the choir. So every Sunday, I love whenever he was the one singing, I would follow and then I would sing along. So I remember that a lot because that was like a routine. And then I remember going into the river at the time, being so young, it looked like such a big river, catching frogs after it rains and then making food, like fry them and eat them afterwards. In this episode, I continue uncovering my family's story with my oldest sister, Tuan, and my older brother, Danny. And what was life like there? I think that in mom and dad's eyes, and probably our brothers, I think that they felt like it was struggle. But I think for me, I didn't feel like it was a struggle. And I think because I was a kid, even though I was struggling, I don't remember being negative about it. I actually remember having fun. You know, like I went in the woods and I got dry branches and leaves and then I made fire and I cooked rice soup for you and, um, and Joanne. So I remember enjoying it or like going to help mom in the rice fields when she was working. There was this leaf, I don't even remember, but in Vietnamese it's called sung sa. So we used to pick those leaves and then make jello out of them. So I was cooking already, mm-hmm. like six, seven, eight years old. I think people were struggling and people who were older felt the struggle, but I felt like I was learning how to live life and how to survive. And mm-hmm. I, I only remember having fun. I was born 1968. I remember like a Nya Chang. My mom like a, took all of you, boom bang, like a, to sell like coffee. Yeah, all of us are me, baby ball, the three girls. Exactly, mm-hmm. and it was hard. From Nya Chang to Saigon, Saigon back to Nya Chang without a ticket. The ticket man came. Let it like I was hiding. My brother Danny is the youngest of four boys. At eight years old, instead of attending school, 
He would join my other brothers to sell stuff like cigarettes on the trains, back and forth from Nyachang to Saigon, doing what they could to make money for the family. Is that when you started smoking? Until now. Eight years old? Yes. They make money and uh, I came to the house and give it to uh, mom every day. Daytime, like a sell cigarette. Nighttime, I sell like a iced tea on the train. As a family of nine, four boys and then three girls, it was too risky and expensive to all flee Vietnam at once. My father and my oldest brother left first in 1979. You like a, I hold you like a every day, three of you. What was mom like? Oh man, she was busy all the time. At first, like she trying to tell somebody, you want to escape, you want to escape. And they say, yes, yes. I think like a six or seven people and only one person is free. So like a, if you buy like a seven, get one free. That's why she brought like a three of us. What Danny is describing is that my mother negotiated that if she recruited and organized enough people for an escape, that the captains would not charge for my brothers. I was in the the boat. It was hard, like it took us about two months to escape. At first, mom didn't let me go. And uh, I was praying like, please come back. And the next day, they came they back, came back. <laughs> because of you. Exactly. The first time I went, we got through to uh, the ship. In episode five, I shared how my three brothers left in 1980, leaving behind my mom, sisters, and I. Living in Saigon with dad's older sister, Go Sao. She was a nun and I didn't go to school, so she homeschooled me, but we went to church like three times a day and she wanted me to be a nun. And I remember I spent a lot of time alone. I know that we struggled, I've seen it, but for me, that was not the stress. The stress was more emotional than the physical struggle. Just changing and moving from one place to another, I think you and Joanne may be two or three years old, but I was old enough to remember things. I couldn't go to school, but I, I remember wherever we were hiding or moving to, I would go to the local elementary school and stand outside the window and look in and wanted to be in school. And why were we moving and hiding so much? Because mom apparently was organizing all these escape trips and I think they were after her to put her into in jail or we were trying to attempt to escape Vietnam. She was, you know, dealing and secretly doing all these things to help us get out of the country. So I was old enough and be able to take care of myself. So she would leave me with her friends for two weeks and then I go to another friend's house and then I was in Saigon and I was all over the place and there was a lot of change. So that for me was emotional because I feel like I didn't have anybody close to me that I could trust. So I learned to trust myself. It was probably in the middle of the night and mom woke us up 
and our cousin and Khan was with us and she said we have to go we have to go and I knew what that was because she used to say we're going to see your father you know and she knew I was very close to dad so she would say that we're going to see your father and dad and I used to write letters because I learned how to read and write because of his sister Go Sao taught me and so when dad had already escaped Vietnam he used to write letters to me and then I would write letters to him And then I would keep his letters, and every time somebody, I feel like somebody takes advantage of me, I take out his letters and I read them, and I start crying, and then I miss dad. So mom, she knew that I was close to dad, so she would use that every time she would wake us up in the middle of the night to try to attempt to escape. She would say, "We're going to see your dad in America." So it's in the middle of the night, and then we went, and then I remember getting onto a small boat, and then they covered us with the fishing nets, and Mom would tell me to keep you guys, to keep you and Joe, quiet and try to calm you guys so you don't cry because they're gonna go on the boat or check. And I remember hearing footsteps of people stepping on the boat, and I could feel. The flashlight, or you know, the light shining on us, and then we—I don't know—and then we transferred to another boat. But it was all in the middle of the night, probably two or three o'clock in the morning. How many attempts of escape did we make, or was that the first? It was several attempts, but I don't—I re- really can't count. And I even remember there were days where I heard that Mom was put in jail because they caught her. But then they let her out because they heard that she had young infants and, you know, toddlers or something like that. But I know it was several attempts because I'm just so used to being woken up in the middle of the night. Let's go, and then it's a miss attempt, and then we go back and we go to another person's house to hide. We never packed anything, and I think it's really helped me a lot because I don't really get attached to things. It was hot. I was hungry. I was sweaty. It was sunny. It was crowded. We couldn't move. I don't know how many people. I think Mom told me it was like 60 something. We couldn't move, but Mom was very close to the captain. We sat next to the captain on the boat the whole time because Mom was communicating with him, and she was the one that was in charge of all of that. And um, you know, they kept switching back and forth with the binoculars. And they would try to look and see if there's anything, but they never saw anything. And mom didn't see anything, and the captain didn't see anything. And then I asked to look at it, and mom always trusted me since I was younger. She always went to me to pray for things. My mother said that they had been on the boat for two nights and three days. From the rain and tidal waves, the boat was filling up with water, and she was afraid they wouldn't make it. She woke up Tuan and asked her to pray to Mother Teresa to help us all. And I looked at it, and from far away, I saw a bright light. And then I told Mom, I said, "Mom, I see a bright light from far away." And then I remember Mom telling the captain, and he's like, "Oh, she's only a kid; she doesn't know anything." And I remember hearing Mom tell him that, "No, if my daughter sees something, that means she sees it." And I think it was like hours later, it was the light of like the ship or something. When I looked into the binoculars and I saw the light from far away, and I told mom, and she trusted me and believed me. And what's amazing is I carry Saint Therese with me the whole time. Yeah, it's a picture frame. I still have it、um, at my home. It's the original 
frame that the superior mother of the convent gave me. I wanted to be a nun so badly. And you have to be 15 or 16 to enter. And that was my dream, is to turn 15 or 16 and become a nun and help people. So she gave me that, and that's my patron saint. And I still have it in the original frame. It's all cracked, but it's okay. I still have it. I felt like she was there, and she was the guiding light, and she was the strength, and she helped me. I remember I can feel the nervousness, but I was not scared because I always knew that it was going to work out, and I knew that St. Teresa was with us and with me. I was just following what Mom was telling you know, us to do. She was the guiding force. She was a very strong woman, and she was very determined, and she was positive in her outlook. She could see that we were going to make it out no matter what. We were picked up by a Norwegian merchant ship and taken to a refugee camp at Hawkins Road in Singapore. It was almost like a gymnasium and there were mattresses all over the floor. And basically each mattress is like each family. So it's like an eight by 10 or maybe smaller than an eight by 10 space. And we would do everything there. We would pray, we would sing, we would meet, we would eat, we would dance. <laughs> we do everything and we sleep <laughs> on the mattress. And then we had the Europeans, and then we had the Singaporeans who came into the camp and taught us English. I felt like it was interesting and exciting and new at the same time. I was often alone, but mom worked a lot. She worked for some Indian convenience store on the camp. Um, our cousin, who was a teenager and Khan, he was sort of like our big brother and Anmui and Ngao as well. And I, they had to go stand in line for food, you know? And then I think we were given a certain amount of money weekly, so they went in line for it. But I remember that you kept crying for mom when she was working, so I would take you and we would sit under the tree in front of the convenience store and we would wait for mom to leave. And some days, I just got tired of you crying all the time. <laughs> so I leave you and Khan, and I just wanted to be alone. When we first came here, like uh, for two months, I was sick. When I went to the shower, I fell down. I woke up in the hospital. I asked him, like, uh, what day it is? I was there two, two months. You were in a coma for two months? Yes. And then after that, I couldn't talk for one year. And the right side, I couldn't move at all. I understood, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't write either. I prayed God, always. So Danny, did you stay at home in that one year? Did you go to school or anything? No. Yeah, and who took care of you? You just stayed at home by yourself? No, nah, TikTok like I'm not, But didn't they have school? I don't know, like uh, I forgot. What did they tell you it was? It was like a season. So when you went back to school after that year in New Orleans? Yeah, and I couldn't talk. It was good and bad and you know, sometimes sad. 
almost like a, I cry every day or a few months. Danny's first few months in America was especially hard. Ani and Anna are my two other brothers. It was the three of them that all escaped together, just teenagers. It was Ani and Anna who took turns sitting next to Danny's hospital bed until he woke from a coma. It was the two of them that cared for his basic needs every day after school for a year. Danny was 13 years old. He had to learn how to talk, walk, and write all over again. He recovered, but not fully. This all happened when my mother was still in Vietnam. When our family was reunited again, I was only three years old. I had no idea what my brother had to fight through until now. I was excited. I was so happy. I cried. When dad and all of our brothers picked us up at the airport, I remember all of that. And I was so happy, but calm. And I was crying. And then Danny, he was crying. And dad, as usual, calm, unemotional, but I could tell he was happy. <laughs> <laughs> we were in New Orleans and I was put in a girl's school. I think I was in fourth grade. It was all girl's school and I got really bad grades. That was my first time in formal education in like a real classroom with other students. And I didn't understand English other than how are you, mother, father, brother, sister, one, two, ten, and all of that. And then I also didn't know math because I never learned it. I never went to school. So I remember all of our brothers helping me with my math homework and I got used. All my grades were used because that school didn't have English as a second language. And I used to sit in the back corner. What's a U? Unsatisfactory. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. And so I would sit in the back of the room. I was very quiet. I'm not chatty like I am now. And actually, I was very quiet and shy as a child. I often felt alone or to myself. Yeah, so I would go home and I would cry and I would say, I don't want to go to school anymore because I'm getting bad grades and I just didn't understand it. And I would cry every day. Dad worked, he was bagging groceries at, um, I think it's called Schwedman. And we used to come and go shopping there and we would see him work. And then mom started working in New Orleans at a shrimp factory. She was peeling shrimp. And I remember her coming home, even if she took showers and baths and tons of it, she still smelled like fish. And I didn't want to sleep next to her. I didn't want to be in the same room with her. And I always felt bad of being ashamed of that, but I would never say it out loud. After about a year in New Orleans, our family moved to Northern Virginia, where we had heard there was more employment opportunities. At first, we moved to uh, Virginia. Coi như là không có tiền á, rồi đi lượm uh, TV and uh, radio, đem về nhà coi. It was good though. <laughs> lượm ở đâu vậy? Lượm ở rác á. Oh yeah, curbside trash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember when we moved to Virginia and you went to Oakton High School. You got into a lot of trouble. Back then, everybody knew me. Even uh, 
superintendent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But tell me what kind of trouble you got into. Like a smoking. That's it. Yeah. Did you do any drugs? No, until uh, junior. Yeah, junior year, and uh, I like a smoke like a marijuana. I remember you used to steal mom and dad's car. Back then in uh, Virginia. Yes, when you were in high school. Yes. Did you ever get into an accident? No. One time they had to get you out of the police station because they oh, pick you up without a driver's license. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just one, one time, one time. My brother got into a lot of trouble in high school. I think half of the time he was being a typical teenager, but I think the other half, he felt lost and out of place. Then one day at work, he met his future wife. She was uh, upstairs in the mall, like uh, working nails. I was uh, downstairs working uh, the kiosk, and I saw her, and uh, she saw me. She spoke like a uh, English to me, and I said I'm Vietnamese. And then like uh, one week, I got her. How? I just don't know. Maybe like a sweet talk. I remember you told me you guys took the bus together to work. Yeah, I took the bus to a Boston Mall, and she lived like a, around like five minutes from a Boston Mall. So then you wait for her and you guys got on the bus together. Oh, Danny, that is so romantic. Uh huh. See. <laughs> see. When Danny met his wife, she influenced him to open up to faith. He remembered that he prayed to God every night for a chance to leave Vietnam. And when he was paralyzed in bed, it was God who heard him, when others couldn't. Danny and his wife live in Houston now, and he shared with me how faith. Has continued to help him heal daily. When we moved over here from uh, DC to uh, Houston, my arm, like a uh, my right arm, like this, mm-hmm. and right here, because like uh, we go to the church every morning, every morning. Yeah, because you used to not be able to put it down. Exactly. You know, it's kind of interesting because now that I look back at my childhood, I was always into the senses, like the smell and the look and feel of things. Even in Vietnam, I just felt like everywhere I went, I always found some sort of creative outlet to do something or create something or help people in some way. Appreciate every day of life because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Always believe in higher power, whether it's God, whether it's Buddha. It doesn't matter. I do believe in higher forces, so I believe in God. So have faith. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't always have to be dark. I chose to share my sister and brother's story together because they are two of the most loving people I know. And they inspire me each day to live a purposeful life. In the midst of their struggles, they never gave up searching for a guiding light. It is their belief in faith and spirituality that has provided them strength. 
For more details on this episode, or to connect with Tuan directly, visit our Instagram or Facebook page and look for details under episode 25. And a quick shout out to Sal Lee Nguyen, our associate producer on this episode. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.